Blog Talk Radio. It is hot, it is humid, it is ugly, and it's just now the start of summer. So, uh, <laughs> it's not quite the dog day, but it has been brutal here the last couple of days. But, but I'm doing good. Had a good Father's Day. I hope you did too. And, and you know, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to jump in and get to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We did just kind of skip spring, and when you go outside now, the heat just smacks you in the face. It's kind of drains you and that lets you know you're in the well feels like the heart of summer but like you said it's just getting started we still got july and august so we're just gonna have to roll with it (laughs) no absolutely absolutely but i know we got a lot to talk about tonight absolutely we got you know in the state of kentucky a lot of hall of fame news and we'll talk about that Halls of Fame news. Uh, we'll get to all of that. Uh, a certain decision from a certain power forward on the West Coast. Uh, we we'll definitely dive into all of that as well. But we're going to start, you know, at some time. time we've, we start with guests right off the bat. For those who've been listening for a while, you know that. Um, that's kind of the case this evening because we are scheduled to talk with former UK wide receiver, Randy Burke, uh, so we'll give him a call here in just a second. He uh, played at Kentucky uh, in the 70s with Sonny Collins, went on to play with the Baltimore Colts, so uh, we'll get to talk with him. Looking forward to that. And at 6.30, we have our good friend Edward Perez on. Uh, if you're listening last week, we, we talked about the kind words he tweeted about us in the show and he was on with us at the start of baseball season to talk Shohei Otani and the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He joins us again this evening to catch us up on all things World Cup, so that's going to be fun as well. And, of course, if you want to interact with the show, as always, it's 845-277-9373, at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter, at Vinnie Hardy, at T Brown underscore 80. All of those measures are ways you can interact with the show. Um, and as last week was when we made our debut, we'll also be being replayed and re-aired tomorrow on 12 Ounce Sports Radio. So we appreciate that. Uh, it was cool to hear that again on Thursday morning as they replayed the show. Uh, like they do friends and various shows of ours, KY Sports Guys, Big Blue Views, Girls Beer Sports, et cetera, et cetera. So with that, we will look to give Mr. Randy Burke a call. Let's see if we can get him on the line. Right now, uh, 
for those of you who haven't listened before, Terry can wholeheartedly agree that I was the king of technical difficulties on the show. If it was possible to be done, I could do it. So we're trying to minimize that again, and we'll try to give Mr. Randy Burke a telephone call right now and get him on the show. By this time at UK, time with the ball. Hello. Hello, Mr. Burke. Hello, yes. Mr. Burke, this is Vinny Hardy, Cat Talk Wednesday. How are you doing this evening, sir? We got you on the show. Ready doing to great. Talk a little Doing great. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to, to be on with us and look back at your career at Kentucky and with the Baltimore Colts. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time for answering a call from a guy you don't even know and then agreeing to come on the show that you never heard of. That's <laughs> That's quite uh, well. I've been traveling so much. You could have been a, a, a superstar show. You might be, and I still wouldn't know. So <laughs> I've been out. I've been traveling so much. Oh, well, that's that's awesome. Take us back now. If I'm correct, me if I'm wrong. Looking up the, the stats and things, listed six two one ninety five wide receiver from Miami of Miami, Florida, right? Correct. So did you did you play all the sports growing up? Or were you always passionate about football as your first love? Take us back to your the years leading up to coming to Lexington. Well, I was yeah, I was always football. I, you know, down in Miami, there wasn't much basketball. You know, like, you know, like you come up here, everybody's got a basketball, go in the backyard. And Miami was all we all played football, I and mean, it was just everybody down there. And then, uh, so I was football my you know my entire life. I played baseball when I was a kid as well. I played in the Corey Leagues and et cetera, but it wasn't – I got to a point. I was on the all-star team every year and all, and I told my dad I was getting bored. I was just, it was just too slow of a game for me. Football was more the game I liked. And, uh, you know, and, and so he, you know, he said, don't make it a habit of quitting, but he said, if you really don't want to. And I said, no, I don't, really don't. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's football. And then when I got into high school, of course, I was on the track team. So uh, we were uh, state champs my freshman year. In Florida, and uh, we had, I, mean, I wasn't even a part of it, really. I was a freshman, and the guys we had were really just super athletes. And uh, we, uh, so, you know, I was a trackster, uh, football. And then uh, here's my favorite story to tell you, though. <laughs> You'll love this. I had, uh, it's my senior year, and, uh, you know, I'm on the track team, and I would go out and I'd see, I saw the lights on the gym. And, I'm, you know, our track team, by the time practice, it was getting dark. And I kept saying, what is going on in the gym? If that uh, Basketball is not going on nothing. I went in there and they were playing badminton, and I went and I see it. I was a bunch of pretty lady girls from my high school playing on the badminton team. I didn't see many boys, and I saw them going. So I walk in and start talking, and I said, "Boy, I'd like to join the badminton team." So I saw all the pretty girls in there. When I start playing badminton, I ended up being all city badminton player in Miami as a badminton player, and uh, and I was on track too as well. As you know, I had the fastest time in the state in track and the hurdles for a while. And so that, those are my sports, believe it or not, badminton, track, and football. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. Just I know. Kind of stumbled <laughs> upon, kind of got oh, yeah, distracted was... and stumbled into badminton and made all city. That's, oh, that's quite a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, you know, all the pretty girls were there. So, you know what I mean? I'm like, hey, that's, that, that's where I want to be, where the pretty girls are. So, <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> it. So... 
when did you start getting, I guess, major attention in football? Like when you start getting no, all it, the offensive looking at you. It's it's different for me being in Miami. Well, I'm running. Here's what happened for me that hurt me. But uh, there was a new high school built, and I stayed in my because I was in the district. I should have went to the new school, but I didn't have to. And I stayed just because of my track coach. I felt I owed it to him because I was all city in track. You know, I was, you know, I was a hurdler. I was a decathlon. I did a little bit of everything. I had track scholarships all over the place and for college as well. But back then, track. You know, back in my days, they didn't really give you the full scholarship like a football did. You know, football, you got everything. Your room, board, track could be partial scholarships and stuff. And uh, so they built this new high school, and a lot of the athletes went to it, and they actually became the state champs in football where I stayed, and we were 0-9-1. You know, and so we were, we were kind of during the – but the game was over, top of what party to go to. You know, it was kind of like – because all the athletes went – a lot of the athletes went to uh, South Miami High School – Matter of fact, a guy named Ed Beckman, uh, who ended up playing for the Kansas City Chiefs for ten years, was one of our one of the players that went there. And uh, so he, you know, it was, uh, but it was my decision. I, you know, I had my friends at school, and I, you know, I wanted to stay. And uh, so you can imagine being zero nine and one. You're not exactly being, you know, the doors weren't being uh, blown down to come see you. Uh, I, uh, I was a tractor. I had the uh, attention of a lot of the military schools because I was my high school scholar athlete. So I had uh, I had the Air Force Academy, which actually I didn't even know they could do this, but they they gave they said we have your congressional appointment if you want to come, which means they can get it done. You know, it's, it's like normally you have to get a congressional appointment to go to to all the to the different schools that are military based. And uh, I had Citadel after me. All the military schools were after me for because of uh, you know my scores and stuff and such. And uh, but you know I told my father I said. You know, Dad, I went to a Catholic school for nine years. I said, I've already been to military. I, I've had enough. <laughs> the nuns were tough enough. And I said, I'd, I'd rather take my shot and, and I'll, I'll get a scholarship somewhere else. And, and luckily, Kentucky came in. And, I mean, I'm really – I was lucky. You know, I was the last scholarship Kentucky had. I don't know if you know that, but I was the very last scholarship. Uh, and and it, was, uh, it was due to my track coach. Uh, one of the coaches uh, was down in Miami who knew my coach. Because remember, Frank Kersey's, all his coaches came from down in Miami. They He he was the University of Miami coach, and he left and went to go to Kentucky. He had coaches down there. That's what he brought with him. And they knew my track coach because we were well-respected as being one of the best track teams in the, in the state. And he asked if he knew of any athletes that were being overlooked. He said, yeah, i got a kid right out here. And, uh, and that's how I, I got a scholarship to go to Kentucky. So when you leave Miami for Lexington, was it a culture shock or were you just going with the flow? What was your first impressions when you came up north? Well, you know, I, it's, you know, I had never seen snow, and you know, like most of the Florida boys, you know, we had never <laughs> seen it. We had, we, had, you know, we had quite a few Florida guys, so, so it wasn't that bad. I, had, I became buddies, and we're still lifelong friends. Mike Martin was a linebacker, played with us, and he actually had a son in New England, and uh, and so we, we have, I would say, the tightest team in Kentucky's history. When I say tight, I mean, we're still, we still talk to each other more than any other team they have. Like, when they have a reunion, you watch. You see the most players that come on that field, it'll always be our 76, 77. I mean, well, we still do. You know, we still outnumber everybody, which is, so we're all, you know, we're, we're a tight group. And a lot of the guys were from Florida, 
because, because of being free and having, you know, having the ability to recruit that. And they're doing a lot of coaches. <clears throat> that is really cool. I'm going to pull up a comment from uh, our Facebook page. We put, you know, posted about the show and posted about having you on the show and everything over the past couple of days since I talked to you on Monday. And let me see if I can find it. It's from, you mentioned how tight you guys were as a team. One of your teammates commented on our Facebook post about the show, and it was uh, Sonny Collins. And he, let me see if I can pull it oh, up. Oh, yeah. I can't. In a gist, yeah, in a gist, he said that uh, Randy was a great guy. Here it is. Here it is. Uh, great wide receiver. Said, unfortunately, UK was lacking a throwing quarterback, but you were the full package. Yeah, he's. I love Sonny. He's. I mean, Sonny was when I got here. He was, you know, the man on campus. No, he was. And then let me tell you what a gifted athlete he is. I mean, geez, he could. I mean, he could do everything. I remember watching him play basketball. Because <laughs> you know, UK won the national championship. A lot, a lot of it had to do with because they played a lot of ball at Seton Center against. Uh, Art Stowe and Derek and all those guys, and they play so rough <laughs> that they beat them up. They beat them up enough that they they learned to play tough ball, and that's what they were noted for. The Tech was noted from the Twin Towers and stuff being just tough guys and beating around, and they learned it real quick with Art and him because Art would just push them around. I mean, Art and I mean, Sonny Sonny had the base on him. Man, his waist he he pushed. I don't care if you weigh three hundred, he pushed out of the way. You know, he was tough. So it was. So he was kind of, even though he was he wasn't in our class, so he's kind of like adopted in our class, if you know what I mean. He was that kind of a guy for all of us. We all looked up to him, and uh, and he was. I mean, he, he still holds a record. I mean, I think uh, Snell might break his record finally, but uh, it was uh, you know it's been it's a long record to hold on to. Absolutely, we're talking with former UK and Baltimore coach wide receiver Randy Burke right now. Um, Cash Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown. So Sonny describes you as a total package from a receiving standpoint. So, you know, not just a possession receiver where you are a burner that you can take the top off the defense, precise route runner, physical. How would you give us a scouting report of your game as a receiver? Well, you know, the one thing I, I could say I, I probably lacked, I don't have to go with what my deficiencies are. My, I, I definitely could catch a ball, definitely had, had blazing speed. I was most of the time one of the fastest guys on the field, and that includes everybody. I mean, believe it or not, I, I was a 4-4 white guy that, you know, not many people can run with me. But I didn't have the real quick real quick feet. I was more like built like a gazelle. I could, you know, I had the bull powerful. I mean, I was hard to bring down. I'm a strong guy. And I, when I played in the pros, I was more than that. I was playing 205. You know, 210, I'd get up to. I'm one year I did because I wanted to see if I wanted to be in muscles. And, and then I realized I slowed down some, so I went back down. But uh, but I was I didn't have, didn't have the real quick feet. You know, the real – Roger Carr was an all-pro wide receiver with me. He had both. <laughs> I, I couldn't do the rise he did. When he didn't have – I was crazier. I mean, I was – I was uh, believe it or not, my, probably my biggest strength was special teams, not receiver. I would have probably been all-pro wide, oh. all-pro special teams if they had it back then. I led my team in tackles one year as a wide receiver, which has probably never happened before. I was leading the team. You know, I was on the special teams, and I wanted to be the leading tackler. So I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a wedge buster. I'm doing everything. You know, to, and uh, so I was, you know, as a receiver, I was good. Had great hands. I was a great third down re- receiver for Burt. Um, 
And uh, and I, I've got, I mean, I can tell you things, but, you know, everyone thinks that everything's so precise, you know, about quarterback, you know, they, they have, you have your primary, your secondary, and then you got your backs coming out. You know, Bert would tell me in the huddle and say, I'm coming to you. <laughs> so, so I'd get up to the line. I'd read, because I could read defense as good as any quarterback. I'd look up there and say, okay, they're in double man, they're doing this. And if they called me a route I didn't like, I changed it. I mean, I literally would do that. And the coaches would go, what in the hell are you doing? And I would go, well, you had me on a hook and go. I got a linebacker coming up over my head. I, I don't have time to do a hook and go now. I knew that Rogers doing a post, and I knew Lydell was staying in the backfield, so I knew I can go out to the class. He goes, you knew all that? I said, yeah. And so, so, he, so I knocked him, Bert threw the ball right to me in the fly, and we got our first down. You know, so it was kind of most of my routes were by me making a lot of them up. And my coaches would get mad and say, until you screw up, I'm all right with it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They gave you the rope I, to improvise. Yeah, right. They gave you the rope to hang yourself, really. But it was, it was <laughs> but it was, you know, that's how, I mean, I did it a lot like that, too. It's like, you know, I'd have, I remember playing one time, we're playing the Dolphins, and, and Bert said, I'm coming to you. And I had double man on me. I had inside out, and it was the Blackwood brothers, who I both, actually, Lyle Blackwood, he used to play with us on the Colts. He was our, uh, our strong safety, or free safety. And uh, so now playing against him, he was part of the, I think they call him the bees or the, uh, the uh, what do they call him, no, the killer bees or something like that. They called him that because all the guys' names were bees, uh, last name were B, and uh, for the Dolphins. And so I've got Lyle and, and, uh, and Glenn Blackwood playing me in and out. So I, I learned right off the bat, you take one of them out by going after one of them. You know, so and I, I was kind of like uh, – like a Dwight Clark, I'd just run India. You know, I'd, I'd I'd get my. That's how I got my separation. I didn't get my separation by making a real nifty cut or something. I just ran right in you and knocked you backwards, and I'd turn around. <laughs> so, because I was big. I mean, as a wide receiver, you're six two, two ten. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good. I'm like a tight end hitting them. You know, when you hit them. So, and, you know, I, I never got a penalty for doing it. So I saw this. I saw other guys' receivers get penalties for doing that, but, but it's a. Uh, and that's how, you know, that's how I, I, made, I made a route up. I changed it because I knew, the, you know, what was going on. And I know Bert's coming to me. I got to get open. You know, so it's yeah. – right, yeah. So you so you were let's see, drafted in the first round, 26th pick in the 1977 draft, right? Mainly due to me at uh, because of the camp, you know, at the, the um, Senior Bowl. That's how I bumped and moved up. I was in, you know, I'm in practice there, and I had Tommy Cream, who was my quarterback, and uh, and he had a guy, I forget his name now, but he played for uh, the Giants, Perkins, Johnny Perkins, I think his name was. <laughs> he was a high draft pick too, and he was he was um, the, the two of them just played in some other All Star game, so they were playing a lot together, and so I wasn't seeing the ball much coming to me, you know, he and I are on one side, he's I'm on the other side. And so I, I said, I got to change this. So I find out where they were going to after after practice at a local bar and have a few beers. And I, I bought Tommy a beer. And, you know, I've learned <laughs> I learned to be a, a salesman. You know, you go talk to him, and I'll be damned the next day he starts throwing the ball to me. I'm doing one-handed catches. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. I'm having a great I'm having a great day out there because I'm, I'm blowing by everybody because they they're just not used to seeing a white guy run that fast, you know. So I'm just going right by all the, the secondary guys, and I'm making one-handed grabs, you know, and, and catching bombs and and uh, so I you know I catch I have Don Shu and them and they're uh, you know they're gonna you know put me uh, you know they, they, they I'm it I'm gonna start in the game well the, before the game starts in warm ups I dislocate my finger 
which, you know, the ball hit. I've had problems with that several times. The ball hits my fingertip and jams the bone all the way back behind the other one, and you got to pull it back in the socket. So I that happens before the game. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. This can't be happening to me. You know, I'm thinking it's the biggest game of my life. And But I tape it up, I, and I still held the record for like 37 years. I caught 11 passes. I, I think I tied, I forget his name now, and I watched him play too. He, Howard Twilley. Howard Troy played for the Dolphins. That's but he had the record. Now I had a little. I had more yards than him, but we both had the record of eleven receptions, and someone finally did twelve. Man, that is great stuff. It's fun to yeah. listening to all that. Now, you were in in Baltimore, and I've I've seen the the thirty for thirty. You know when the Colts, of course, left town but how the band was still there and they still had all their outfits and, and how passionate they were. What was it like playing in that city, in that stadium, and, and how attached the city was to the Baltimore Colts? Yeah, here's one. I mean, I think it would be a great response to all that because it was – I mean, they were – they loved the Colts. But let me tell you, as we started losing, I think things turned sideways for them. And, and they were uh, – I mean, I'll be honest, I couldn't take my helmet off when I was leaving and we were losing games because they were throwing stuff at us. And that's how, you know, so it wasn't like what you read about how, you know, uh, you know it, it, it's – to me, you should always be able to move a team, but you should never be able to keep the name of it. I mean, to me, I, I just can't still have a hard time saying Indianapolis Colts. It's Baltimore Colts, you know. It's like – and I think as a business, you should be able to move your business. You should be allowed to. But – you don't get the name. <laughs> they should change the names. It should have been Indianapolis Racers or something, but not the Colts. You know, because the history stood there, <laughs> and, and that's how I look at right. it. You know, and it's um, but it, but you know, and, and Ursay, I mean, you know, he made a probably good a good business move, but the guy was a no good drunk, if you ask me. He was bad. I mean, I, you know, I mean, yeah. Jimmy was. Mm-hmm. I like Jimmy, his son. He was a good, but he was drunk at the. I mean, I was afraid to even talk to him because he, you know, he. Don't you remember on the when the kicker missed that field goal? He. <laughs> He gave him a raise, and he fires him the next day. I mean, you know, he was <laughs> right. he cuts him. So you know, you know, he's you know what he's going to do. And he was drunk. He was drunk. I mean, I, he'd come down to the bench and he'd be drunk. You know, kind of. I was like, oh, and you know, yeah, stay. Our coach would stay away from him. <laughs> That's the basis. Stay away from him. So you don't get fired, get cut, or something. So you're saying he was a but Jimmy, his son was much better. Just a little bit, huh? You what? And he was just a little bit. You're saying. Senior Ursay was just a tad impulsive, right? Just a little bit. Yeah, he was. Yeah, now I like Jimmy. Jimmy was more of a, yeah, you know, he was a he was a good kid. I mean, I, I haven't seen him since, but he was actually a very polite young man. And uh, and I, you know, I, I haven't I, I haven't had chances. They've asked me several times to come up to uh, the Indy games too. Both of them, Baltimore has the Indy. And I've just been so busy with my own company that I haven't had a chance to, but I will one day because they said they'll bring me on the field, and you know, I'd love to go up there one time. At least we talked to Jimmy anyway, because yeah. he was—he was an—I'm he was, yeah. telling you, I liked him. He was a nice guy, you know. Man, as a matter of fact, I had him drive me home a couple of times, and we all went out after practice to make sure I didn't get in trouble with DUI or something. He would drive me home, you know. So he was—and he was young. He was like 17 years old or something, I think. And, you know, so he was—he was a nice young man. I mean, I, you know, to, the, in, in spite of his dad being the one he was. Right. And so after your plan days, you made Lexington home, right? And you come back and live in Lexington currently? I, I, yeah, I do now. But I was, I was all over it because, you know, I grew up in Miami, so I'd go down to Miami and stay down there. Matter of fact, the guy I'm in business with now, I used to work for him 
during the summer when I was playing ball for the Colts, he, he was building pools and stuff. And I would help help him build pools, you know, as a laborer in the summertime because we didn't make – Evan takes all your pro pool money, you made a lot of money. I go, no, we, you know, we didn't make that much money back then. You know, so, I, you know, I was – plus I was kind of – I was kind of, uh, you know, the run around. I'd go to Colorado skiing for the ski season. I'd be out there a month and a half skiing and, you know, tell my dad to sell my BMW. I needed more money, you know, <laughs> do things like that, you know. <laughs> I was yeah I was I wasn't doing the right job of you know saving money I had that but it was um, I had a, I mean I could say I had a great time yeah yeah that's it that's it now I know the uh, the NFL Kentucky Hall of Fame ceremony is this weekend and a lot of guys are coming in for that are you gonna attend all those activities there at the Opera House and all that. Well, here you know, I'm stuck in a rock and hard place. I've done some of them, and, uh, and Frankie kind of took it over on his own. He's, he's kind of run the whole show now. I used to help him; we all did for a while, but he's kind of taken over. But the problem is, he always puts on the same weekend as a children's charity <clears throat> um, golf tournament, which I play in that as well. And when he moved it, they have it the same weekend. I just can't do both. I, I was going to see the guys, but I don't. I, you know, I'm, I'm more committed to this one because it raises money for the local. We raise a lot of money, and it's a really important tournament. But I mean, a lot of guys playing. Art still plays in it as well. You know, some of the guys. So it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, it's all. I, I don't know why they both. He he's, he keeps it always the same weekend as theirs. I don't know why. <laughs> I swear. Right. right. <laughs> it's a conflict. I understand. Well, before we let you go, what are you? What are your expectations and? For this upcoming season, of course, we know there's a, a new quarterback that's going to be under center. You still got Benny Snell, got a lot of guys back on defense. Schedule's a little bit tougher, but what do you? I I like our, I think I like him. We have an upside. I think we have an upside. I really do. I think they got a chance to play. The, I mean, Snell is sad. Lord, he didn't get hurt. I love. I really do. He's fantastic. Excuse me, and. Uh, and I'm not sure, but you know, the two main guys here in the quarterbacks right now is Hork and uh, and uh, Wilson. So, um, you know, ones are, ones are running. So, you know, if if they're truly going to be a running game, you know, it's going to be is it Wilson? Is that his last name? I always get it mixed up. Is it Wilson, the quarterback yeah, yeah, Terry that they brought in? Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he'd be he'd probably be the more likely because of his running ability. I mean, we always seem to have great success when we, when we did that. You know. The wildcat quarterback, you know that kind of stuff. If you got a quarterback in there who's already like that, you know it's, it makes it tough. And that, this kid evidently has all the tools for that. Now and now, if you're you're too far behind, you got to catch up. Court could be he's a, a hell of a. I heard he's doing a great job of uh, staying in the pocket. And some rumors are they still need a lot of work on knowing all the plays and stuff because that's a lot to take in in one year. I'm, I I remember it for me just in the pros. And nowadays it's just like the pros now in college as far as how much information they give you. I mean, you got to, it's just yeah. a lot to absorb. So that's why, you know, people aren't ready to see the mistakes, but they're going to make mistakes. It's tough making all those reads. And I mean, it's way more than people have any idea uh, what it's like to be in that right. pocket and have to, all the things they have to, they got to be on all eight cylinders and they have to know everything. Like, you know, there's nothing worse. If you have to go make a speech to something, and if you don't know every single thing about what you're talking about, it's tough, you know, and, and that's the same to be a quarterback. If you don't know everything, you don't have it all down precise. It's tough. You got to have, you know, you got to have everything so it, it becomes second, second nature to you. And I don't think they're there yet. Of course right. they're not. Right. 
But, right. but it's going to be on, you know, it's, it's kind of like you. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just, you know, honored again to have you on and, and just appreciate you taking time out of your evening to hop on. And, and if I'm up in Lexington and catch you at a game, I'd love to meet you. And thoroughly enjoyed talking with you about your career and the Cats upcoming season this evening with us. Oh, that's great. I enjoy I enjoy I love love talking about my time in Kentucky. Like I said, I live here now and it's a, you know, it's a great state. And uh, and anytime you need me again, I'd love to do it. I certainly appreciate it and, and we were honored to have you. And, you know, I just glad Sonny gave me your number to give you a call and appreciate you coming on. Can't thank you enough. All right. All Absolutely. right. Thanks again. All right. Bye bye. Have a have a good evening, Mr. Burke. It's Randy Burke, former UK and Baltimore coach wide receiver, taking time out of his evening to tell us about his game and give us thoughts on the cats. That was great stuff, man. Great stuff. In TV, we will transition right now because it is time for our second guest to hop on. We got both guests in the first hour this evening. As mentioned at the start of the show, he joined us a few weeks ago to talk about Shohei Otani. Um, we also talked, you know, Elgin Baylor getting a statue and all that in front of Staples Center. Now he joins us again to catch us up and drop knowledge on the World Cup. We are talking about our good friend Edward Perez. Welcome to the show, Edward. How you doing, sir? Great. Good uh, Good Wednesday to you, gentlemen. How are we doing, Ed? Same to you. Doing Same wonderful. You. Doing great. I got to start all right. the World Cup. Right, go ahead. It's been great. It's been great. Um, the games are competitive. The stars are showing up and making plays. And you get these little, you know, you get these countries that are definitely underdogs, and they are fighting the big guys the big teams, the super teams, and giving everybody all they can handle. Now, is it, it, it's been about a week, right? Yeah, it'll be a week tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Now, so far, what have you seen as far as surprises, good and bad? Uh, I know with America not being in it, a lot of folks are um, not paying attention but, but from what you've seen, what countries have kind of stand out, surprised you good, and what has kind of been the, the bad so far? Well, I think the good – and this is hard to say because uh, there's about, there are about eight teams that have two games under their belt. Every, everybody else has one. Uh, but I think that for sure the big game was Sunday when Mexico beat Germany, one nothing, And uh, they did not play afraid. You can go into a game into, you know, facing a team like Germany or Brazil or a Spain or an Argentina, and you can kind of play back on your heels. And you can kind of be afraid of making that mistake because, you know, a lot of people say you make one mistake on those teams, they get one, they get two, they get three real quick, game's over. But uh, Mexico came out strong, counterattacked, said, we're here, we're here to play. And they got a goal in the second, in the in the latter part of the first half, and 
they kept bringing it, and they they went toe to toe with Germany and got the win, and that was a probably as big a win as so far in the tournament. What what would that upset be the equivalent to? Like like maybe historically, you know, is there an upset in another sport that you can compare it to? Is it that big uh, to where you know? Yeah, that's that's a good uh, thing. And what it is is it's almost like a uh, hypothetically, if Gordon Hayward had hit that shot against Duke, that would have been it because it was a mm. one day thing. It was a one event. Okay. You know, you got one shot at him, and you know Duke is one of the big bad teams in, you know, in college basketball, and where Germany is the defending champ. They won four years ago. They had a great run. They've got a, a squad that's full of, you know, superstars. But this team, a Mexico team that has got to the group stage, but hasn't gotten far. far. They they finally got through, and this might propel them. But I would say definitely that uh, hypothetically, if Butler would have beat Duke in the final. You know, it's just one of those things where they're a good team, but they've underachieved, and they took on the big dog, and they they beat them. They flat out beat them. Wow. Has what has Mexico done since they played Germany? Have they played yet again, or? They will play Saturday. They will play Saturday against South Korea, uh, one of the weaker teams in their group. But uh, as I know, as I've seen through the games so far, those weaker teams aren't weak. They're going to come and brand, you know, and, you know, they're going to have a fight, as every game will be a fight. There's been very few uh, blowouts, say, uh, except for Russia that's won 5-0 and 3-1, and – but the other games have been fights. Even today, Portugal won a game against Morocco, one nothing with the greatest player. Some people say the greatest player on the planet, and Cristiano Ronaldo. But they had to fight, and Morocco didn't quit. And Morocco had chances; they just couldn't cash in. And this afternoon, Spain beat Iran, one nothing. But again, Iran fought and fought and had great chances and had a goal denied on a inadvertent handball, which I thought should have been let go, which would have made it a 1-1 draw and put uh, Spain at the top of the group. But there's not a gimme game in this tournament. Talking with Edward Perez, getting caught up on all things World Cup. Um, in, and I, admittedly, I'm probably in the group that watched more World Cup in 2014 than this year. Uh I don't hate soccer. I'm just kind of, eh, if it's on, I'll watch it. <laughs> but I was watching the Spain and Iran game this afternoon, and as soon as I went to the refrigerator to get something to eat, I heard the crowd erupt. And so I missed Spain's goal. <laughs> uh, and so I don't know if that happens to a lot of people or not, but it seems like that's been happening to me when I'm tuning into the World Cup this year. As soon as I leave, I miss you know, the big action or the big score or something like that. This question might be stupid, Ed, but I'm going to ask anyway. you got Spain playing a run. I mean, this goes, it can be said for any matchup, but I saw right before, I guess it was the 58, 59-minute mark, there was a foul. 
the guys were talking, and, you know, my bad, congratulations, you know, sportsmanship was being shown. What language was being spoken, and how multilingual are the refs in these World Cup games? I'm sure you have to have a handle on a lot of different languages, but I think primarily it's English that's spoken. You can get around it, and a lot of these players play internationally. So they mm-hmm. play in either England or they play in Spain and or they play in Germany or they play in France or, you know, they play Mexico and things like that. So I'm sure they're, these refs have to have a handle on a lot of languages because, you know, sometimes you do have to dip into that knowledge to actually communicate to somebody who may be playing on the national team but may also be playing, you know, he, they may play in the domestic league. So you have to communicate with them. But I think primarily it is English. I've I've noticed that the pregame introductions are done in English and in Russian. So I, I think English is the primary language. And I think a lot of the uh, gestures by the refs are transcend the language, you know. So you know, there's a lot of hand language to stop the play or to stop the arguing or, you know, to move the game along, so. Have you been watching a lot TV, or are you just kind of in and out? Or? No, I, I watch it. I watch a lot. I watch. I've seen. Uh, I, I, I basically by design took Friday and Monday off to watch all the soccer, and I did, and you know, tried to in the morning catch a quick nap before the next game started. But uh, I've really, it, it to me, I I've always loved soccer. I watch soccer during the uh, regular season. Uh, during the international season, and uh, this is like you know, this is this is the biggest event in the world, and I think the final is going to garner two to three billion viewers worldwide on the fifteenth of July. What about you, TB? Have you been keeping up with it, or just kind of catching little bits and pieces, or? Oh, are you there, TB? Oh, I forgot TV. My business. There we do. But um, you said two or three billion. I don't know if TV's mic is dropped or what. You said two or three billion for the the final this year. Yeah. Oh, we got trouble with everybody. Two or three billion expected. Who were the favorites this year, Ed, coming into the well, you had your, Of course, Germany, I guess, yeah, would be yeah. being the champs, but who else? Yeah, you had your core of Germany uh, was one, Spain, uh, Argentina, Brazil, and even they, they even a lot of people were with Belgium because Belgium, although they haven't gotten to a final, their talent base on their starting uh, Eleven is phenomenal. They have they have almost a half of a, of a English Premier League uh, All Star team. Uh, their goalie, their two forwards, uh, their their defense, their midfield. These are guys who play at the top caliber of Premier League, and those are I think a lot of people thought of that the five core teams that uh, were going in as favorites. But you never know. Once you get to the 16 and once you get to the knockout round, it just takes one goal, one play. Um, 
uh, a hot goalie similar to hockey, and it it can all swing. So it's going to be fun. Had you been keeping up with a lot of the TV or just kind of hit and miss, or what's your watching been so far? Uh, it's been hit or miss. Uh, honestly, this go-round, now the Women's World Cup, we watch pretty religiously, me and the girls, just watching the women uh, play. Uh, and we watch a lot of non-American They watch a lot of non outside of America. Okay. We got yeah, you back. Yeah, just to kind of watch and 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 see how they play. And I think that's the if if you're going to learn a sport, you have to learn the nuance. Like there's one thing to learn the rules and Ed, I think you'll back me up on this, but you have to be able to see a play develop. That's when I think you have an understanding for the game. Like, okay, you see this person with the ball in this spot on the field, uh, and you can kind of see what's happening. You know, when we see that wide receiver, you know, beat his cornerback and the uh, quarterback makes an adjustment, once you start seeing that with different sports, then you can appreciate it. Uh, So I've got an appreciation for soccer that I haven't had uh, initially. So I will probably dive in, especially the knockout rounds, uh, because I think once – that elimination is is hanging over people's heads. That's when you see really good uh, soccer. Uh, it's like anything else, you know. It's like the NCAA tournament, except, you know, what times a thousand? Ed, would you say? You know, with the with the one in, you know, with the the winner go home mentality. So I'll tune in uh, for that because you do see really good uh, basketball. Yeah, and the thing about the knockout round is you've got no next year. You've got four years, you know, so it puts a lot of pressure. It, you know, when you're getting down into maybe an overtime or something like that, you know you're gone. You're done. You don't come back till 2022. You know, you got four years to think about it and really to just to say it slipped away and you have no next year to come back. You have, uh, you have four years. You have a lot of time to think about it if you underachieve or if you don't make a play or if this bounce doesn't go your way or, you know, or you, you get to like Brazil did in their home country four years ago, you get to the semifinal and you just get roasted, you know, on your home turf, you know, that Germany team that shot out to a 5 nothing lead before the first period is over. You got four years to think about that, you know, mm. it's just well on your mind. And that's what makes it, even harder is the time difference. That was the yeah, seven to one was, final, right? That was the semifinal in twenty fourteen, yes. Seven to one was the final score of that the, the beatdown, right? That is correct. Yes. Go ahead, T B I didn't mean to cut you off, man. No, I think because with the uh the World Cup returning to North America here uh, is it 2026? Is that when it is? 2026? Yes. Now, yes. Are, you, are you excited about that? Are you going to try to catch some of those matches in person? Absolutely. And uh, I had friends who actually went to the 2015 Women's World Cup in uh, Canada, and they loved it. And I know it's coming next year. It's going to be, I believe, in, somewhere, somewhere in Europe. I'm not sure if it's France or the Netherlands or whatever, but I – as geared up as I am 
for this one, I'm so geared up for 2019 because 2015 was the first one actually shown on network and um, over the air network on Fox. And, you know, it, it really was, you know, like you said, TV, it was, it was well done, well played, and it really caught the fancy. And, you know, the Americans will be back to defend their title, but it is, you know, women's soccer is emerging in a lot of countries. And uh, this one's great. Next year, Women's World Cup ought to be awesome. Yeah, it's like the girls they play. I'm sorry, go ahead, Benny. I was just, I don't, I'm not mean to put you on the spot. I, mean, I probably should have Googled it. But you mentioned that 7-1 to one score, Ed. I just, it made me wonder, because soccer, you know, don't have a lot of high-scoring games. What is the highest-scoring game in the World Cup? I mean, you know, you get a baseball game, it'll be 12 to 10 sometimes. What's the highest-scoring game that you know of in the World Cup? I, I remember some double-digit wins um, back, I think, in the 90s or even the 80s. But, you know, a lot a lot of times, I mean, you won't really run up the score on a team that, you know, sometimes it just happens, happens to work where every play, every shot, every formation just – it just works perfectly and you get guys that break out on transition and it just happens. But that, that seven to one, I think was the biggest one I've seen in quite some time. Interesting. I'm, I'm good TV, man. I'm going to quit cutting you off. Man. I'm sorry. No, it's all, it's all good. I'm just trying to get <laughs> as much world cup information as we can out of it. Now, who is is your favorite to win? You 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 had your probably your list going in. You've seen a majority of the teams play. Who, if you had to put money on, who's Ed going to put money on to to win the cup? And uh, is it the Golden Boot for the MVP? Who are you looking at to kind of bring home the hardware? Well, you you do this. It affects you in so many ways because when you watch international soccer a lot, you develop favorite players, and they are on different teams. So I have a conglomeration of favorite players on different teams. I have a guy who's on Croatia who plays for Real Madrid. I have a player who plays on on Belgium who's who plays for Chelsea, and uh, I, it's just spread all out. I have heart and mind picks. So heart okay. first heart first heart pick is Mexico. That's my ancestral team, uh, so I like that. I grew up fascinated by the style of Brazil from when I first watched the tournament in, in 1978, when the only way you could watch it was in Spanish. So I love the flair. I love the crowd. I love the samba, the, the party atmosphere that they have. So those are my two heart teams. My head team was Belgium. I was picking a first-time winner because of what I said, that roster-wise, they are stacked. The individual talent is absolutely stacked on that team. Uh, I think they compete with Germany in terms of just straight up deep talent. So I had I had Belgium going, and they're in good shape. They won their first game 3-0. Uh, they're one of their big forwards, a guy named uh, Romelu Lukaku, who plays at Manchester United, had two goals. And uh, you know I, I thought that if I had to put money 
and bet with my head, and uh, I, I was going to go with Belgium. So, so Belgium and the Waffles are who you're kind of thinking are going to, who you're ho- hoping are gonna, is going to pull it out. Now, Germany won it last time out, right? Germany's the defending champion. That is correct. Mm-hmm. They did win last. So, so a, a repeat you don't think is in the cards? I know they lost to uh, to Mexico, but is Germany kind of they? And you touched on this earlier with there being a four year gap. It's not like you can you know run it back with the same team. So between you know one World Cup to the next, do you see a lot of roster turnover? I know four years is a long time for age and injuries and that kind of thing. You know, how do they go about constructing these teams to, to maintain a little bit of um, uh, consistency, I guess I should say? Well, what they do is they start initially with a 40-man uh, provisional squad. And then they, you know, gel the team together and see what the fit is because that that's one thing is it's the fit of the team. Because you have guys, occasionally you'll have guys who are on the same team, professionally, and then they merge onto the uh, they merge onto the national team. One team that didn't make it was Italy, but Italy, when they played two years ago in the European Championships, had a back defensive line that had three guys who played on the same team. So you have that consistency, but it's it's a tough fit to get these guys together. And then you have injuries. You have injuries that happen during the professional season leading up to the tournament. So you have to take that into consideration. And there's a situation where I think a very good Poland team, uh, they have two forwards who just don't seem to click. And that's a really tough call because if your your team is moving as a cohesive unit of 11, then there can be communication errors that end up botching into bad goals. And um, it, it takes some time, but eventually you cut down to 23. You have to compensate for injury. You have to compensate for, um, you know, other factors. And there are there are players who get left off. And uh, there was a gentleman, a young player out of Germany, who was left off the team, and a lot of people questioned it. And now they seem to not be effective in the offensive end, in the front line, in the striker line. And a lot of people would say, well, if you had X and X there, you know, maybe you would have pulled tie or something like that. But it's it's a real cohesive thing because you also have your new blood, your old blood. You want to bring some guys who have experience, you know, but you also have players that leave or retire in that four-year period. And then you have young players to bring into the, to the mix. So it's, it's a real tough thing. And then you also have uh, coaching because you, some teams don't carry the same coach. Even Spain, they fired their coach two days before their first game. And uh, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of that team that's played together in the previous World Cup. Uh, some have played on the same team and they play against each other, so they kind of can kind of can get over that. So that was a situation where it seems to be working. Whether it continues to work is going to be tough as the stakes get higher, the pressure gets more, and so. But I tell you, for a, a less experienced team to have their uh, basically summarily fired. Uh, two days before the tournament would have been a shakeup, but that's the kind of team that I think can roll with something like that and can just say, you know, let's let's join together. There's a lot of veterans. There's a lot of people who 
have been here, you know, let's put through and carry on. And when you're looking at how these teams construct your, their roster, is it, is it kind of like the, you know, for folks, the, the men's, the U.S. men's Olympic basketball team, where we realized a couple of Olympics ago, you can't just roll out an all-star team. You've got to have people that fit a specific role. And, and, you know, it may not be your best, best elite players, but you do have people that kind of fit their roles. Like UK's Tayshawn Prince a couple Olympics ago fit a defensive role. So when you're constructing these rosters, there's a lot that has to go into it, right? Yes, there is. You have to, like I said, you have to build a lot of, you know, it's role because you have three substitutions. You know, you want to keep your guys fresh, but you want to make sure that you don't drop a talent, drop in talent level, or that you um, that you don't lose the cohesion. You know, that you don't lose because it's it's tough to pull these guys together. I mean, you play you play two three years of qualifying, and then you have a year from qualifying to the actual tournament. And then you also have to take into consideration who you're going to be grouped with. And these guys got grouped into, into team groupings, uh, group play, back in December. So then you've got, in the midst of your regular season, you've got what's called friendlies where you play teams from other nations in just simple exhibition games. But you, you get these 40-man 40 40 rosters, and you see how they fit and how they play in, a certain, you know, in these friendlies. And you see who fits and who doesn't fit. And, yes, sometimes an individual star that you may think is a slam dunk to get in the team just doesn't fit with the guys. And you have to just maybe just pass on them or, you know, or get it. And these guys are, they're not the, you know, they're, they're, they take pride in being on their country, but they also have, you know, sometimes they want to be the band, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta mix that one to be the man with the team with the focus of the team and winning for the country. One last question for me, Ed, on the World Cup. Uh, I know you've got your favorite countries and and, and everything, but as an American, what would – I'm thinking, what does the U.S. have to do to qualify? You know, when I saw that they didn't even qualify, I thought that that was kind of a – a no-brainer slam dunk. You know, we may not win it. You know, I can understand that. But but to not even qualify, what would you kind of do if you were the commissioner of U.S. soccer? What would you do to make sure that we make it the next time out? Well, I, I say this. The players are there. Uh, the players are there, and I think they're transitioning to a more youthful team. Um you know, and I think that part of the there's two prongs that I think is is the issue. They had a change in in coaching uh, from the gentleman who built the team, who's uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, who's a German, uh, lives down in Newport Beach. He's won the World Cup with Germany, so he knows right. he knows what it takes. But it, the system didn't click with the players, so they fired him and hired Bruce Arena, who's coaching MLS and coached the national team before. And they were in a situation to qualify, but as I said, it's a two-pronged issue. Um, there was some question as to who they put out on that last game, but they didn't play with urgency, and they didn't play with that instinct of saying, 
we got to go out this last game. We're, we're set up to qualify. We just need to go out, play hard, get the win, and 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 get in there. And they just seem to go through spells and games where they just lack that urgency. And you you have to take it. And I think a lot of what, what teams can do is learn from Mexico, learn from a team like Japan, who uh, won yesterday. And you've got to play – you know, you've got to have a good tactical plan, but you've got to play with some energy. You've got to play with, with you know, a sense of urgency and, and a, go, a, a sense of we're going to go and we're going to take this game and we're going to give it all out effort rather than kind of play back, you know, play defensively and hope, you know, play not to lose instead of playing to win. So the pieces are there. It's so, just how they can put the pieces together. That's correct. Yes. Well, hopefully they can they can they can turn that ship around. And I'm sorry, Vinny. We've been cutting each other off today. We've been it's been a bad show. Yeah. Today. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. Oh, Ed, man, you um, you tweeted a bunch of kind words to us last week about. Uh, how you made your debut on our show, and we talked about it last week. We talked about it at the start of the show. Uh, first of all, tell us about the show that you were on, the soccer show that you were on. Tell us a little bit about that and, and who you're on with and all that. And no doubt you were bringing knowledge there just like you were here with us. Yeah. Uh, I was actually uh, earlier before the tournament began, before the World Cup began, I was tweeting with a couple – a gentleman in San Diego. One of them is Nick Hardwick, who used to be the center for the Chargers, and they do a uh, morning drive show from six to nine. And uh, and uh, I just started tweeting with another gentleman, and uh, uh, the, the Tuesday before they said, "Hey, would you mind being on a spot for us?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." So we talked uh, uh, about eight days ago, and uh, the next thing I know, they you know they like the input between me and the, the gentleman on Twitter uh, fellow, and. Uh, so they just they said, hey, well, it was great. Can we have you on every week? And I said, yeah, sure. So uh, I think my time with them, it's on uh, Extra 1360 in San Diego, um, Extra Sports 1360. And they they have me on every uh, every Monday morning. So we go for about a little 8 to 10-minute spot and recap the weekend and stuff like that. And So when I'm on next time, it'll be interesting because uh, we'll get down to the final uh, days of games of group play, so a lot of things will start gelling together. I mean, we already have two teams already for the round of 15 in uh, Uruguay and Russia. Uh, they both qualified today with Uruguay's win, so they'll finish one and two, and it depends because they both play each other on Monday morning to figure out the seating for the next round. But that's kind of how it happened, but, you know, I just, uh, you know, you guys gave me the launch, and this is something I've always, you know, thought about. Well, I'd love to do a show or two, you know, and just kind of contribute, you know, and things like that. And you guys gave me the vault and gave me the shot, and you know, and I deeply am thankful for that. And we we appreciate the kind words and and everything you put in that tweet. You talked about, you know, us giving you the confidence. I said it to Terry last week. You sounded confident as can be when you came on with us. You already had all the talent and all the knowledge. It was already there. But we definitely appreciate uh, the shout-out that you gave us and, and we appreciate you coming on 
with us earlier in the year and coming on again tonight also. Yeah, that's great. Hey, I, I love being on with you guys, and, you know, it's wonderful. And uh, maybe as the tournament progresses, when we get to the knockout stage, maybe we can uh, do this again and just keep updating it as, as the tournament goes on. Absolutely. One last question, uh, Ed, before we let you go. I know you've, you've been the World Cup guy, but you're a Kentucky guy. You're a Kentucky fan. You, you bleed blue out there on the West Coast. Reed Travis transferring in from Stanford to Lexington. Real quick, your thoughts on how next year's squad is shaping up? If they gel fast, it's going to be a it's going to be an awesome season because it's deep. It's, it's, it just depends on how quick they can gel, you know. But uh, this team can roll real, real strong because this team is nine, ten deep, and oh, this this team has the chance. And I always look at three things. You know, win conference, win conference tournament, get to the final four. They're definitely, they're definitely reachable, no doubt about it. And like I said, Absolutely. it's just a matter of how quick, how quick they can gel. You know, I don't think they're going to have to go through the feeling out process, the learning curve that they've had the last two years. There's enough veteran leadership, you know, there, you know, and they've got guys coming back who are hurt you know, who were hurt this past year, who are going to come back on that team. And they've got one year under the belt. They know the system. You know, uh, Jamal Baker from out here in uh, Southern California, you know, even though he was hurt, didn't play. You know, he's got a – he's got – he knows the system. He knows what Cal expects. You know, quite has got everything. You know, these guys there's, – there's a lot coming back. There's some fresh blood. You know, we got guys now that can just drop three. You know, we got that outside shooting. That inside game is going to be tough. You know, the transfer today, it, it could be scary, scary good. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I had to get your thoughts on that because we're, we're going to dive into that in the second half, but I know you're a World Cup guy and a Kentucky guy, so I had to get your, had to get your thoughts on that as well. Yes. Yeah, that's great. It's gonna be a, I think it's going to be a wonderful year for the Cats. Thank you so much, Ed, and keep doing what you're doing. And we appreciate you taking the time to hop on and talk some World Cup with us. Definitely got to do it again. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Jerry. Have a great rest of the day. You too, Ed. Thanks. You too. Thank you, you, Ed. Edward Perez bringing the World Cup knowledge, catching us up, TB, because I've been hitting miss like you. But Ed has been all over it and – has got us up to speed on everything going on in Russia right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ed, uh, we've been interacting on Twitter for a while, and uh, you can you can tell when he's passionate. His voice does that little uptick when he was talking about Belgium <laughs> and the World Cup, and his voice went up a little bit uh, talking about uh, uh, Reed Travis, his next year's Kentucky team. Uh, I, it's hard to believe that he just started doing this. He sounds so polished. You know, I was thinking back to our yeah. first shows years and years ago when it was just the two of us talking to each other, but he hit the ground running. <laughs> uh, and, and he, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And, and uh, I follow him 
really, I, I go through his, his timeline on Twitter and I look at Facebook because he's always throwing out nuggets about whatever matchup he's watching in the World Cup. So this weekend has been pretty, was, was pretty good uh, uh, with, his, with his insight. So definitely appreciate him coming on and, and sharing that with us. Absolutely. We are going to come right back, just as TB mentioned, dive into the Reed Travis news in the second hour. Uh, and all the Hall of Fame activity going on in the state of Kentucky, UK Athletics, NFL Kentucky, inductions and announcements going. We'll get into all of that as well. This is Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back. Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com, 845-277-9373 is the number to give us a call at Cats Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again to our guest in the first hour, former UK and Baltimore coach wide receiver Randy Burke and Edward Perez, who you just heard, friend of the show, talking all things World Cup. And he's a Kentucky fan as well, so we got his thoughts real quick on the way out on Reed Travis. Before we dive into Reed Travis, just two things real quick, TV. Just forgot to mention Dwayne Casey moving on from Toronto to Detroit, going to be taking over the Pistons team, of course, former Wildcat on the 78 championship team. Uh, Successful run in Toronto kept running into the Cavs in the playoffs, gets relieved of his duties and wins coach of the year, but now he's going to be in Detroit with Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, uh, and Avery Bradley is there. Knew he would land on his feet. I didn't know it would be Detroit. 
got some pieces to work with, but we'll be interested to see what he does in his first year in the Motor City. Yeah, and the, the thing about uh, Toronto is they were kind of locked in. And it was clear that they weren't going to be able to beat uh, LeBron James, no matter where he was. But they still had a 50-plus win team. So you're, you're, you're kind of you're, – you're, you're, you, you don't have a lot of options. You know, they had committed a lot of money to Lowry and, and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, so you have to ask yourself, if you're ownership, if you're GM, do you blow up the roster or do you get rid of the coach? And, and getting rid of the coach was the easy thing to do. Uh, but, but Casey, his work speaks for itself. You know, you don't, uh, you, you don't find that level of consistency in the NBA without a coach and a system that, that works. Now, in Detroit, where he was more uh, kind of a, a guard-oriented attack in uh, Toronto, will, his, uh, will he be able to work with more of a – you know, with Griffin and Drummond, how do you kind of yeah. change your focal point to the front court? So that that remains to be seen. But it's one of those things. I'm glad that he landed on his feet, and yes. uh, you know, I'm 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 happy for him. Everybody, but he, he was not going to be unemployed long, uh, and so I think Detroit is about as good a spot as any. I think they have some pieces to get back to the playoffs. And depending on who goes where in free agency, you know, they, if they can get into the playoffs next year and then and try to move up after that, I think we'll see a little bit of, of, of shifting uh, out in the Eastern Conference on, on the playoff uh, teams. But I think it's a good situation for Casey, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. One more quick nugget, and look – because it will be pertinent. It pertains to Kentucky fans. It also pertains to you personally, Terry Brown. We, we talked 49ers last week with T.O. and the whole Hall of Fame. Is he going to go? Will he not? We had a Dwight Clark reference from Randy Burke this evening that I knew you heard it because I caught it as well. He even compared himself to kind of doing some Dwight Clark stuff on the field, just running routes and separating to get himself open. Uh, the ESPN body issue, which they've been doing this for a while, it pertains to Kentucky fans because Carl Anthony Towns, Cat himself, is going to be in this year's edition of the ESPN magazine body issue. And as one Terry Brown, TB, 49ers fan, Jerry Rice fan extraordinary, favorite player Jerry Rice, all-time greatest receiver ever, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is posing in the ESPN Magazine body issue as well. So you know I wasn't going to let this show go by without getting your thoughts on that as well, TV. Well, Jerry uh, still looks like he could play. I'm not going to buy the uh, issue just for him, but he still goes to camps and and works out and, and everything. Uh, so that's going to be something. I'll tell you why I like the body issue is 
as opposed to just the swimsuit issue with Sports Illustrated, the body issue, ESPN, they show Paralympians. They show folks that aren't your standard, stereotypical, uh, what you might see in a magazine. They've got power lifters and shot putters. And, you know, one year they had Prince Fielder. And for my money, uh, I think that's a better uh, image to put out there is you don't have to have a certain look to be a great athlete. You know, Prince Fielder, you right. know, he hit, what, 300 yeah. or so home runs um, or whatever. But, you know, you can be successful and not look a certain way uh, to be a world-class athlete. Uh, I think – I'm trying to remember who it was. I think Lindsey Vaughn one year. Uh, and they really showcased, like, you know, her scars and surgery, you know – you know, just, you know, how really being a world-class athlete sometimes takes a toll. You know, it's, 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 it's not always glamorous, kind of what you have to put your body through to be great. And that's why I really like the, the body issue versus what you might see in, 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 the, in the swimsuit issue. Um, so I, I think it's a good thing that, uh, that Jerry is, is in there, uh, you know, even even in his advanced age, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those two things, you know, Cat, as far as UK fans and Jerry Rice with you being a Niners fan, had to definitely hit that. But um, we'll get to the biggest news of the day, and we'll also get to the Hall of Fame stuff like we talked about and your reason for optimism possibly as a Lakers fan. We'll get to all that before we end the show. We don't have to read the tea leaves anymore. We don't have to speculate. We were anticipating it in some ways, assuming that it might be a done deal. Well, then Villanova entered the picture and, you know, wondered if Reed Travis might take a visit up there, graduate Stanford, visits UK, and goes ahead and seals the deal by transferring to UK. So adding to that big man depth for Kentucky coming up this year, TB, we know there's a wealth of guards, and there's still some big men there, even with the departure of William Gabriel and Jared Vanderbilt. You know, you had Nick Richards and TJ uh, Washington, EJ Montgomery coming in. I'm one who tends to think Nick Richards will make a lot of strides and, you know, you'll see a big improvement going into his sophomore season. But now you add a Reed Travis to that mix, and it just bolsters what's probably going to be a solid big man group anyway. Then you add him in, a senior, experienced, Pac-12 player, knows all the tricks, and he can impart his knowledge to this squad. And so you had that mix now of veterans and talented newcomers, and it's all percolating, and we're all just trying not to hyperventilate as, as Kentucky fans as the Bahamas trip approaches. Well, there's, it, it's good news. It's great news. And uh, I think we're going to be looking at depth along that 2015 team. Now, whether or not we have – an elite talent uh, like Carl Anthony Towns on this team. Uh, that remains to be seen. But top to bottom, this is a, a very, very 
deep team. Uh, the front line has gone from good to formidable right now. Uh, one of the things I like about this roster as we look at it, and number one, shout out to Kyle Tucker of SEC Country, who said back in April that we were probably going to get somebody to reclassify, probably going to get a transfer to come in. He, he, he called this uh, move. Um, but it, it's good news. It, uh, it's one of those things, I think, uh, number one, this team can play up-tempo where Kentucky under Cal has been very successful getting the ball up and down. Because, uh, number one, they're going to have a lot of ball handlers on the court. That's number one. And number two, just the depth uh, of the team. You know, you're too deep at every position with really talented guys. And what that means is practices are going to go back to being as, as brutal as they were during 2015. You know, those, those, those practices are going to be rough. Uh, there's going to be a lot of flexibility on the roster. Uh, Cal and, and, and Coach Payne and, and all those guys are going to be able to be mad scientists and figure out how do we want to play. You know, are we going to go – Four, four guards and a big, or are we going to go big, big? I, I, there's just a lot of options. Um, and for my money, I don't think that, you know, with P.J. coming back and Quade staying, although he said he was never really looking to transfer, uh, had all these guys coming in, I think they all understood what this team could potentially be. I, I don't think it's a situation where E.J. Montgomery is like, oh, well, wait a minute now. You know, he was caught flat-footed on, on whatnot. So there's going to be that um, – I think they all understand there's a common goal, there's a common purpose. And, and Cal, again, can say with his track record, listen to what I say and this is what we can do. You know, I saw a lot of people anti the platoon system that Cal used, uh, and I don't understand that. Uh, that team went 38-1 and made it to a Final Four. So to call it a failure or whatnot is a little bewildering to me. I mean, I, I, look, look, I get it. You know, the Wisconsin game, I get it. But the team was 38-1. So what Cal was doing was successful. I think a lot of people get confused on the platoon where back then in 2015, it wasn't supposed to be five on, five off at every dead ball. It wasn't like a hockey line change. Uh, it was more about minutes played where, you know, that first half you had a lot of those kind of mass substitutions. But then you kind of see how the game's going, who's hot, who's in foul trouble, and then you go from there. Uh, there was a breakdown I saw on Big Blue, uh, BigBlueHistory.net where, you know, you, you had nine guys you know, getting, you know, 20 or so minutes a game. And I think that's where we're going to be this year uh, coming up, uh, which means fresher legs, uh, which means uh, the, we're simply going to be able to wear down opponents. Uh, the last two years, uh, gutting out games and, and kind of having some, some nail biters. Uh, hopefully, I think, this, I think this year we're going to see some more comfortable leagues, <laughs> which I think we'll do – Everybody's blood pressure in the state of Kentucky, uh, in the Big Blue Nation, a world of good. I, I think we're going to see more 
of this this beat them down. Uh, and I know that the fans enjoy that. I know Cal enjoys that of, of just let them get out and 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 run. And uh, even though the the SEC will be better, I think that we're going to be still head and shoulders above the next team. Uh, I'm not saying we'll go undefeated in the SEC, but as uh, Ed said, regular season. SEC title, Final Four, I, I think those three goals, which are pretty much our goals every single year, I think you could say they're, uh, this team is the favorite on paper to reach those goals and reach them you know, quite handily. I know the Final Four gets tricky, and, you know, SEC, but, but this team's got the talent to do that. You mentioned the potential for this team – with all this depth and talented depth to wear teams down. Uh, we've had members of the 96 and 98 championship teams on the show, Cameron Mills, Anthony Epps, Derek Anderson. They've all said it on the show. They've said it on Cameron's documentaries, uh, the team and out of the blue. Cam steps on the court, you know, in the second half fresh, and, you know, to do for Indiana, whoever it is, is grabbing shorts and, and being over at the waist. And just that psychological, we're coming at you in waves. The 98 team's ability to come back. Now, they were still nail-biter games, but they wore the team down in the second half. And the point swing, even though it was a close game, was substantial. You know, you're down 10 to Utah at the half, and you win by nine, I mean, you beat them by 19 points in the second half. Uh, and, of course, the 96 team, it was just, you know, wire to wire whoopings. But this team will be able to do that, just like they did in 2015, just like we've seen in teams in the 90s where they do just wear the other team down because, you know, we got more than you and the relentlessness, we're coming. And eventually – you kind of just break the wheel of the other team, and and that's and, and that's what happened. And everybody loves those uh, teams that that come around. Really, those Kentucky teams every three or four years, really. That, as Cal said, it won the Big Blue Madnesses, and they ran that highlight on his thirty for thirty. We come to your city, we come to your arena, we beat your team. We hear the go big blue chant, and then we leave. And I think this is going to be yeah. that team. That, and, and, yeah. and really, last year was a little, was a little shaky. But remember, the, the Tyler Eulis, Jamal Murray team, we, by our standards, maybe not that great, but they still put a whooping on people, right? They still win. And in, in the games they lost, you know, at Kansas and whatnot, uh, they were tough games. You know, they were a tough out. So it's not like we have been bereft of talent since 2015. So I'm excited of, you know, the the T-shirt games and, you know, the sold-out arenas all across the SEC. Kentucky's coming. And we've got a motivated P.J. Washington returning, who uh, if, if you uh, – have kept up, folks kept up. You know, he injured his finger and played with it through the second half of 
the season, uh, not be able to grab a ball with both hands, which makes his, you know, 16 rebounds in the uh, NCAA tournament even more remarkable. Uh, but he's coming back. That front line is going to be big and physical. And, and really, your man, Nick Richards, if he wants to see his minutes go up, he's got he's to become that rim protector. And we, sh- we saw flashes of it, but he's got to be that rim protector. He's got to, to, to catch those lobs and finish. That's got to be his role. With, with, uh, with Reed coming in, he's a great back-to-the-basket player. He is going to be able to fill that void for rebounding that we were kind of hoping that Vanderbilt, if he'd have come back, that he would have done. Uh, because we played really well when Vando was rebounding and, 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 and really working on the board. That's when the Cats played their best basketball season last year. So if he can do that, that kind of opens things up for everybody else. Uh, the three-point uh, shooting, uh, it's back. Uh, it's not going to be like last year, which I still think it's bizarre that we won a game without hitting a three-point shot. You, 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 I don't know on any level you can do that. That, you know, uh, but that's gonna, just going to open up everything else. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited. There's going to be some inside out, outside in. Uh, maybe we'll see a little bit more of Cal's dribble drive offense than we have seen here recently because we're going to have a lot of guards that are able to get into the paint. We're going to have a lot of wings able to attack the rim. We're going to have a lot of big guys. Uh, Lob City is going to be back, I think. So uh, not to get ahead of myself, but, man, this is shaping up to be a real good uh, season coming up for the Wildcats. Absolutely, and I'll just uh, add to with Reed Travis coming in. To me, you know, this, first of all, when you look at his highlights, the dude finishes well with both hands, equally as well. You know, he's hitting tough shots in the paint, in traffic, with his right and left hand. That that stood out. You mentioned the physicality, uh, the toughness. To me, he's kind of what, you know, PJ is going to going to mature into. Uh, you know, PJ's back, like you mentioned, motivated, probably looking to maybe show he can stretch the floor and, and hit that 15-footer from the elbow or a short corner jumper, things like that. But as far as just the toughness and the banging, you know, PJ started off a little shaky, you know, at the start of the year. You know, trouble passing out of double teams, a lot of turnovers. Uh, there was, you know, the fact that maybe the coaching staff wasn't really pleased with the shape he was in and how he lost, you know, 17 pounds in 15 days or something like that to kind of get his body ready for the season. He's went through that now, so no doubt he will know how to approach this coming season and prepare we started to see flashes of what we thought we would see from him, you know, with the toughness and, you know, the flexing at Tennessee, and then he, he gets cramps in that game and gets hurt. But he was, you know, he was wearing out uh, Grant Williams and, and Admiral Schofield and all those guys. He was wearing them out before he got hurt. You fast forward to the end of the season, you mentioned, you know, he's been playing with a finger injury. Everybody will – 
always point to the missed free throws against Kansas State. <clears throat> but the the jab step and the blow by of Dean Wade, and you were in the building, so I already know you had a good look at it. But that jab step and blow by and strong finish is kind of what I think PJ is. And I think this is what he will be. Reed is kind of where PJ will be in a year or two. I mean, the guy's a senior. He's more mature. That's where PJ will eventually progress to. And so now you got PJ going against this brute of a dude in practice every day. You know, the whole iron sharpens iron thing. Uh, a lot of guys come to Kentucky for that. You're 10 deep at every position, so now the, the scrimmages, the practices, the pickup, everything, you know, you better bring it every time. So it's, it's going to make everybody better. The Bahamas trip is going to enhance it and get it going even faster uh, and accelerate it all. So uh, it, it will gel. It will come together. There, there might be some rough patches where everybody's like, hey, what's going on? As we want to do, every but year. it is going to happen. Every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and as you pointed out, when you were talking about, uh, you wrote about, you know, Kevin Knox, uh, what we are seeing, and, you know, we talk, we know that college athletics is a big business and, and all this kind of stuff, but there really is becoming a brotherhood, to use the Duke basketball uh, phrase, uh, among the among the Kentucky guys, you know, uh, Kevin Knox tweeting about all the great players that have come, you know, before him under Cal. And uh, then, you know, Carl Anthony Towns quote retweets it and says, Hey, you know, Kevin Knox, yeah. you're on that list too. Uh, you mm-hmm. see uh, Anthony Davis come back and, 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 and do things. And uh, that is what I, what really hits me is, there's a lot of, of of guys coming back. They see that they're a part of of something, and they may be only here a year or two, but they're still a part of the program. And uh, when you see and you read things about uh, recruits and players at Duke and not getting a good vibe, uh, you, you don't see that a lot uh, in Lexington. Uh, because I think, and I've said it before, I think Coach Cal is, is the most honest coach out there. You know, a lot of people think, you know, dirty, whatever, whatever. But he's honest with these guys. Look, give me six months, eight months. This is what we can do together. And I think that's an honest, refreshing approach. Uh, and, and these guys are, they are buying in. Uh, and if it's a situation where Cal is now able to go out and get these high-level grad transfers, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, as, as if we needed <laughs> one more, rec- you know, kind of recruiting advantage. So it's going to be – and it's not going to be easy. As you said, there's going to be some rough patches. Uh, as Ed said, they're going to have to figure each other out. I, I know we've got uh, some veteran guys, but, but they're going to have to figure out how to play with each other. And is. You know, if, if P.J. And, and Reed are on the floor at the same time, it's, it's all about giving each other space. You know, my recommendation would mm-hmm. be watch a lot of Eric Daniels and Chuck Hayes. Watch those guys. Right. You know, Hayes and Eric Daniels, uh, if you were looking at all-time Kentucky forwards, I don't know 
talent-wise, where you you know, if you're ranking them, you know, starting with Dan Issel and Mashburn and coming that, you know, where where would they where would they be as far as athletic ability? Mm-hmm. But man, they work together yeah. really really good, and and yeah. I think that that some of that high low, some of that action they did for each other, that's textbook what you would want our bigs next year to be able to do. You know, uh, and then you throw in the, the outside shooting. So there's going to be a lot of things. Uh, uh, I'm excited. I'm always excited. Uh, but but with today's announcement and the draft tomorrow, uh, I'm working on something for Cameron Mills Radio. It's like, look, you know, tis the season. It, you know, Kentucky basketball <laughs> used to be, you know, from midnight madness to whenever Kentucky lost in the tournament. That's what it used to be. But now, here it, all, here it is in June, and I can't remember who tweeted this out, but since the season ended with Cal signing guys, with, with Kentucky's basketball has stayed in the news. And, no. you know, we're going to cap the, the summer off, you know, cap this little period off with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a kid outside the top 50, he was the throw-in to last year's class. And this is for those <laughs> folks that Cal can't develop a guy. He was the throw-in. You know, this time last year, we're rattling off Kevin Knox. We're rattling off Quad A and Nick Richards and, and what's uh, Diallo going to do. Shea was the guy that you thought he's going to be here for four years or he might end up like <laughs> Charles Matthews and transfer out. That was Shea this time next wow. year, last year. No. But you put Absolutely. in work, you listen to what Cal said, and he's probably going to hear his name called first <laughs> tomorrow night. So uh, that's right. It's just, it's just great. You know, I don't know what Cal's going to do for July, but with the uh, <laughs> with the Bahamas trip in August, I mean, it's pretty much twelve months out of the year Kentucky basketball, and and it's not just talking about it. There's things going on, and and. That's the change yeah. that Cal has brought to the program that, that I think, you know, whoever replaces him, that's going to be the, the tough shoes to fill, I think, for that. Yeah. And we didn't even mention, you know, Ashton Hagen's reclassifying. That was, that was lumped right in. You know, that was the big news nugget prior to Reed Travis, you know, but Hagen's is going to be coming this year. He is going to be, going to the Bahamas as well. You mentioned Shea and listening to Cal. It's ironic that you say that because you know, Anthony Davis was just asked, and we'll get to him with all these Hall of Fame stuff we're going to talk about. Anthony Davis was just asked, you know, recently what, you know, you need to do when you come in. The first words out of his mouth was listen to Cal, trust Cal, and, you know, he'll lead you to do what you need to do to go and get number nine. Now, at moments last year, you pointed to the fact that it was shaky. There were shaky moments last year. Barely winning games, your four-game losing streak, you know, winning game without hitting a three, couldn't shoot the ball consistently, all of that. It came to that point where Cal in one of his press conferences said that, you know, one of the guys texted him and, like, we, we need you because there wasn't always – unity across the board when it came to listening to Cal, which made 
for some of the shaky moments we saw last year. So you hear you have Anthony Davis, you know, who Oscar Combs even says is the best player to ever come through. Anthony Davis coming off of his best season from a team standpoint as a pro, won his first playoff series, advanced to the second round of the playoffs, the most well-known cat, you know, probably to these young guys coming up, and he's telling you, listen to Coach Cal. That's what he's telling all these guys coming in. Um, you know, don't try to fight it. Don't try to buck against what you're being told and, and just insist on doing it your way. Get with it. Get in the groove. And then work hard. It's not easy, but you will see the benefit. It's, it's it's going to be a lot easier to get with it and get in the groove instead of fighting it. <laughs> it's that, that's making it the harder, even harder. So it was cool to see Anthony come out and, and say that as well. And I think, you know, Cal always has a message and is always calculated when he says stuff. <laughs> I think this might be uh, kind of calculated with the timing of Anthony saying what he said as well, which is good and which they need to hear. Yeah, and – it, 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 it's, it's, it's one thing for Cal to say, hey, trust in me, but it's another thing when you've got MVP, you know, NBA MVP candidate Anthony Davis saying, hey, mm-hmm. just trust Cal. Uh, That's right. Which, you know, which, which segues, I, I think, nicely to what you've been kind of hinting at, uh, the next class for the Kentucky Basketball or Kentucky Athletic Hall of Fame uh, definitely yeah. headlines by Anthony Davis, who, uh, and I don't think this is hyperbole, even at this point, will probably go down right now as the best basketball player to come out of UK. You know, barring injury, look at his trajectory just right now. You know, three, you know, he's top three MVP, defensive player. Just look at his resume just right today. And my goodness, I mean, he is he has reached ridiculous uh, ridiculous heights already in his career. Yeah. And this class, you know, this time last year we were talking about the star power of last year's class where you had it headlined by John Wall and Randall Cobb. And you're like, man. And, and then the rest of the candidates, you know, that is, Man, that's some kind of class. So they follow it up this year. You know, if it can be top, you have, you know, Anthony Davis uh, with the men's basketball, what he did in 2012. Victoria Dunlap with what she did for Coach Mitchell. I think he was on KSR saying today that he wouldn't be where he is without Victoria Dunlap coming in and being SEC player of the year multiple times and, you know, coming in when it was a rocky time for him and the women's program, and she solidified it as well as the rest of her teammates during that time uh, with what she was able to do. And, of course, she's still playing overseas and doing well now. Uh, Jacob Tammy, similar story on the gridiron with what he was able to do offensively uh, as a tight end. And, of course, we all love the in-state guy, him right there in Danville, Boyle County, to go to the U.K. and do what he did and then have a great career in the NFL. Uh, Russ Cochran, men's golf, 
and from 75 to 78, um, led UK in top five finishes in each of his final three years. Dennis Emery coached men's tennis for 30 years. And Eric Quigley was the, is the winningest UK athlete ever. Eric Quigley, 172 victories. You know, we always think about Wayne Turner with the final four runs he had, and you see him with the two championship trophies and the runner-up trophy. Quigley has more wins than Wayne Turner. So these are the six inductees into the UK Athletics Hall of Fame. That's a, that's a star-studded class right there. I mean, that's a – It is. You know, and one thing I, I do like about it, it shows the diversity of of athletics. Like, you know, I, I talk about the Director's Cup and kind of how uh, Mitch Barnhart has elevated the overall reach of the athletic program, and he has, but – that doesn't mean we haven't had great athletes and great coaches before that. And and this, when you look at the Hall of Fame classes, that's where we get to showcase the athletes that, that laid the foundation for what we're enjoying right now. Absolutely. So the Hall of Fame weekend will be September 21st and 22nd, and it will also be the football home game versus uh, Mississippi State. So uh, all of those athletes will be in town. A lot of uh, the football players, former football players, come back into town. Uh, I got to meet Sonny Collins and Frank Minnesota, a lot of those guys a couple of years ago because they were in town for that weekend. So, uh, so they'll be coming into town again as well. Uh, and we'll transition from that Hall of Fame ceremony coming up in September to the NFL Kentucky Hall of Fame ceremony that's coming up starting tomorrow. Um, you have guys who play college ball in Kentucky and went on to go to the NFL. They don't have to play college at UK. I mean, it could be Eastern, Western, uh, you know, Moorhead State, Louisville, as long as they went to college in the state of Kentucky. And you talk about star-studded as well. And we've had a lot of them on the show, TV. We have Frank Minifield on. Uh, we had Dennis Johnson, Warren Bryant, uh, a lot of these guys on that have already been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Going in this year, former cat Wesley Woodyard went on and still having a great NFL career right now, uh, playing with the Tennessee Titans. Tommy Bell was an NFL referee for 15 years. He passed away in 1986. He's going in posthumously. Former UK coach Guy Morris, who also had a great NFL playing career before our time, but you know, so we, you know, people like us and younger didn't know. But Guy had a great NFL career, uh, and we remember him as the coach of UK. So Guy Morris is going in. You and I were young, but we remember the run-and-shoot offense with Warren Moon. One of the receivers of Warren's passes was Ernest Givens, who played football at Louisville, had a great career for the Oilers. Ernest is going in. And then Tim Lester, fullback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, is going in. Those are the five inductees. 
that are going in. Uh, there's a ring ceremony tomorrow uh, from 7 to 9. The, the, the enshrinement ceremony takes place at the Lexington Opera House. Um, Jerome Bettis is being honored as well, not going into the Halloween, but he's going to be in Lexington and then be honored with you guys. So they do a great job, Frank Minifield, Miss um, Jennifer Parks. We also got to meet her a couple of years ago. She's on the board of directors. Uh, and is going to work to get us some cool guests on the show here in the coming weeks after the ceremony. They coordinate this event, and I've, I've got to go to it. i got to get to one of these uh, ceremonies because, I mean, all these football players, some before our time, some we've watched play ourselves, you know, like Wesley Woodyard. You know, we were little guys with Ernest Givens. But it's going to be a great ceremony. Congrats to all of them. And this is the other Hall of Fame activity that's going on in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. You got the UK Athletics Hall of Fame, the NFL Kentucky Hall of Fame is having their ceremony this weekend. And as soon as this is over, they automatically, you know, start working on next year's class and coordinating and getting things rolling for the 2019 ceremony. Yeah, and, and again, it just speaks to the talent that has come through the state. We don't think of Kentucky as a, a football state, but there have been great players that have played uh, their college ball, high school ball here. And I, I, I'm gonna, I'm like you. I need to, to to make sure I put all my schedule to go and to go to one of these inductions. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to talking to my dad actually yesterday. Um, you know, we got to to meet Sonny and all those guys. Uh, at the event, it wasn't the actual ceremony. We got to meet them a couple of years ago, and this just kind of keeps sneaking up on you. You know, the, the middle of June, you go from spring to summer, you know, kids get out of school, you're planning what you're going to do with vacation and all that. Pow, it's time for the induction ceremony. But I got to remember, set aside, you know, that Thursday and Friday and, and get up there and, and see these guys go in. Because it's just, it's grown. This is like the 18th class, and it's growing year by year. Uh, and Kentucky is still the only state that has a pro football Hall of Fame for the state. Oh, we know what Canton is and the NFL Hall of Fame. You know better than I have because you've been there to see Jerry Rice go in. But as far as an individual state, Kentucky is the only state that has an event like this that recognizes football players that went to the NFL that have ties to their respective state. Kentucky is the only state that does it. And that's something uh, else, you know, that we can definitely be proud of. Uh, is taking, taking time to honor those that have, like I said, kind of set the, set the table, to be honest with you. Definitely. Congratulations to all of them, UK Athletics and NFL, Kentucky. Uh, everybody's going to have a good time, and it's, like you said, good to see them get recognized. Got to shift gears to you again. It's just way too much 49ers and, and Lakers, but I, I saw you getting optimistic uh, with the possibilities of what might happen with the Lakers. As soon as we get past the draft, which starts tomorrow. Free agency is right around the corner. I saw your girl, Jenny Buss, with the cryptic 
Do not underestimate Tweet. So we talked about how optimistic we are for Kentucky basketball, how all the pieces are coming together, and once it gels, look out. Are you feeling a similar level of optimism when it comes to your Los Angeles Lakers? Are they how many free agents are they getting? What what do you see happening with them? Yes, uh, I'm optimistic. Jeannie uh, Buss gets it, and, and and when I say gets it, I'm reading a book right now called The Show, and it is uh, about it's the story of the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, written by Roland Lazenby. I'm reading it. Starts with their Minneapolis days all the way through the Shaq and Kobe run. And you're saying, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Jeannie Buss learned from her father, Dr. Jerry Buss. And Jerry Buss had a philosophy on the Lakers. And he bought the team from Jack Kent Cook uh, in the 78-79. And what the Lakers have been about for years is is winning but it's more than just winning it's putting on a show and how do you put on a show you have to have big names now i don't want to predict the future but i think with with genie bus in charge she understands if the lakers are going to return to being the lakers you know we've we've had a couple of seasons of young guys playing real well and and they've shown some promise but if the lakers are going to be the lakers They've got to get a big time. They got to get a name. And I've seen some positive, some some possible scenarios of LeBron, Kawhi, and PG, Paul George, all ending up on the Lakers next year, depending on how, uh, you know, that that's one of those possibilities. Um, and I know people, uh, you know, anti-Lakers folks like yourself, saying why that optimism, <laughs> and just. The, the Lakers have replaced great players like no other franchise in professional sports outside of maybe the Yankees. Uh, mm-hmm. Going back to, to, to George Mikan, you know, and then the Lakers move, and then Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, and they bring in Wilt Chamberlain. And then you go from Chamberlain, then you go to the Abdul-Jabbar. And Abdul-Jabbar, you bring in Magic. Just That's what we do, and, and I think – that with Jeannie Buss in charge, I've I've got more confidence in her in her than I have in in uh, since Jerry West was the general manager of making a splash, of of doing something to make the Lakers not just relevant but championship uh, caliber again. So I I feel confident. I I don't know if LeBron will end up, but I think they'll make some moves. I I really believe that they're going to bring in some some big time guys uh, and and get back. Uh, and, and maybe that next season challenge uh, Golden State, but I think they can get right back into the playoff mix and go from there. And that's really, as Lakers fans, that's what we want. So I, I feel confident that they're going to be able to get into the uh, free agent wheelings and dealings because uh, there's, there's no Kobe. Uh, and and I'll, I'm a Kobe guy, but I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, toward the end of his career, when they should have been looking, you know, post-Kobe, we didn't. We're suffering for it, but I think we're ready to kind of move out of that funk and move forward uh, right now. So, not going to predict the future, but 
optimistic that all three of those guys go to L.A.? LeBron, Paul I, I George, and I, Kawhi? I, I think really what will probably end up happening is there will be uh, Kawhi and, and Paul George. I don't know about LeBron. That's the wild card. Hmm. But I, okay. I think that those two really want to play in L.A. And I think the Lakers would, would, you know, make some moves where you don't gut the team to get those guys there. Uh, because Kawhi, from what I've seen and read, and I don't know, I've read a little bit about the, the situation with him in San Antonio, but the simple fact that he's willing to walk away from San Antonio which can give him, you know, fifty million dollars more than anybody else, is is pretty telling, uh, if you ask me. Uh, so he wants to get back to the West Coast, and uh, hey, that's L.A. So let's 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 do it. Uh, he's only got a year left on his contract. If the Spurs are going to try to get something, uh, I, I think they kind of lose a little bit of leverage uh, when it comes to that. So. Uh, I, I think it, I feel good that two of the three now three of the three man <laughs> three of the three <laughs> I, I think that I think that's a that's a that's a wrap uh, I think three of the three LeBron Paul George Kawhi Leonard uh, yeah that that team can can keep the uh, can keep the Warriors from getting to the finals gonna give your Rockets some fits. And, and the Lake Show 3.0 will return. Actually, I guess 4.0 wow. or however. You, um, mm. Right. Now, you know, Magic Johnson gets drafted in, you know, 79, 1980 as a rookie. Kareem is there. And is it Paul, Paul Westhead that, you know, Magic allegedly – had fired was it with Paul Withhead was there before Paul Withhead, Riley, yeah. right? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Now that's Pat Riley's first gig, right? Coming in coaching the Lakers and the, the Showtime Lakers. That's his first head coaching job. He, yeah, he was the you know he was he played for the Lakers uh, after he left UK, right? But he was the radio yeah. color guy with Chick Hearn at the time. That they wow. brought in, and then he moved in. It, yeah, moved in to being an assistant coach, uh, and then uh, you know, then he becomes the head coach. Uh, Jerry West was head coach for a couple of seasons. It didn't work out. He went back to the head office, and mm-hmm. and yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and this change was after they won. They had won the 1980 title. That was the thing. People get like. Uh, right. I, from what I, like I said, I read this book, and yeah, Magic was kind of the one that uh, uh, West said. There's a there's a lot of you know factions in the locker room and this kind of stuff. Magic wasn't as beloved then as he is now in Laker fan in in Lakers uh, land. I'll kind of leave it like that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, to make the move to Pat Riley and get rid of a championship winning coach. That's the thing. That's the mind-boggling thing. But it worked. It, it worked. Uh, and, and when you and I were growing up, that's when the Lakers were the, the show. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, I, I think they'll get back to that. 
I don't know if it'll ever be, you know, where they represent the Western Conference in 50% of the finals going forward. I don't know if they'll be that dominant. I hope again. Um, as bad as they've been the last five or six years, this is the kind of hope that the Lakers fans need. Now, I, and the reason I ask you that with as far as Riley being, you know, his first-time head coach is you've got a young coach in Luke Walton. So, and if everything goes the way you and Laker Nation want it to go, you're getting all these big-name free agents. Is Luke going to be the guy to lead the team? Is he going to be the guy going forward to handle – you know, the collection of talent that you all anticipate to be heading your way? Well, I I think, number one, uh, Luke being on the staff in Golden State and getting the opportunity to coach that team when Steve Kerr was out, I think that helps. I think Luke being on championship teams in L.A. helps. Uh, I think that having Magic Johnson in the front office also helps. Uh, when you look at Eric Spolstra in Miami, uh, you know, he was a, a relatively new coach uh, with the Miami Big Three. But I think having Pat Riley there, not getting into the day-to-day, but just kind of there in the wings, I think it helped. And that's going to be the role that Magic plays, that, that Jeannie Buss plays, Um because and and I, and I think it will work. Because again, it's like when we talk about you know can players coming to Kentucky, you know you go into the practice facility and you walk by the national championship trophies, right? You walk past the wall of All Americans, so automatically you know that that you're not putting Kentucky on the map, right? And and Lakers players as well, you walk past. The 17, I'm sorry, the 16 Larry O'Brien trophy. You look up mm-hmm. and you can see the, the, the greats that have worn the purple and gold before you. So I think it's a different situation. Uh, will there be ups and downs? Obviously. Uh, like we said with Kentucky this year, there's going to be some feeling each other out. If this, you know, this is all hypothetical at this point. Uh, but I feel good yeah. that Walton will be able to, to navigate that. A little bit, and and plus his dad, you know, uh, his dad can come in and tell people throw it down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we got a couple couple more things right before the end of the show. Anything that goes beyond eight will, of course, be available on the podcast blogtalkradio.com/slash/catstalk, uh, and also the various different apps: iTunes, Castbox FM, Player FM, Stitcher or tune in. Pick any of those apps, search Cat Spot Wednesday, subscribe, listen to any show, anytime. Um, Reggie Bush got paid. Um, when he got hurt playing the Rams, fell, slid out of bounds, uh, and injured himself. He got $12.5 million, you know, due to the Edward Jones dome kind of not being up to par. So I just thought that was kind of interesting to to see that finally get resolved a few years since it took place. Yeah, uh, that that's huge. Uh, and and reading about that, 
oh, I can't remember. There was a quarterback that was injured like the week before in similar situation. Uh, so it's important, especially these multi-purpose facilities, to really be safe for football or safe for whatever, you know, sports going on. I think that that's what the message is with this situation. Uh, you know, because Reggie Bush, you know, he's playing for the Niners and he gets hurt. You know, it, it cost him some money. He wasn't able to sign for, um, you know, the contract he probably would have. And uh, this is one of those things, hey, you need to have your equipment folks, your 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 ground folks, they need to make sure that the playing surface is is playable. Uh, I think this is a big big uh, kind of ruling for that because we you know we've seen injuries you know guys run into the wall at Wrigley guys you know what have you different facilities so I think this is going to be one of those things they make sure hey you know safety is number one absolutely and on a sad note condolences to the Ledford family. Frances Ledford, the widow of Kay Wood Ledford, passed away a couple of days ago. Kay Wood, the iconic voice of the Cats uh, from Harlan, Kentucky, broadcast UK games from 1953 until 1992. And, of course, his last game was the Leitner game against Duke. But he started in 1953. And you think about that, that's when my dad was born. The voice that we all grew up with, you know, 65 years ago is when he started and started becoming the voice that our Kentucky fans would grow to know when it came to anything UK sports related. Francis Ledford grew up in Lynch, Kentucky, where I'm from. My parents still live there right now. Um, she just passed away. She was 90 years of age. An article in the Herald Leader talked about how she would stay up and wait for Kay Wood to get back from games. She would not go to bed until he came home. Uh, she was a great lady as well. They were both great people, and you can't talk about the fabric of Kentucky anything without Kaywood Lethbridge. Uh, and, of course, Miss Lethbridge was there for every step of the way as well. So condolences to the Lethbridge family. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we worked a ton into these two hours like we always try to do. Had a whole lot of fun. Uh, Randy Burke came on, which was very cool talking with him uh, from his days in Miami as a kid to a receiver for the Baltimore Colts to being a receiver at UK alongside Sonny Collins and all those talented players that Coach Kirsty had. The guy, Edward Perez, came in and just you talk about throwing it down, he threw down some World Cup knowledge TV because he is all over it and gave us his predictions, gave us answers to little normal elementary questions. He handled it all. And congratulations to him on being on the show out there in San Diego. He's rubbing shoulders with Nick Hardwick, used to play for the Chargers, and that's who he's doing radio with. Yeah. Uh, so congrats yeah. to Ed. That is awesome. Uh, looking forward to having him on again as the World Cup progresses. Uh, we're going to have some more cool guests coming up as well, hopefully some, some more cool football guests coming up uh, once the NFL Kentucky Hall of Fame ceremony uh, concludes. 
NBA draft tomorrow. Kevin Knox, SGA, Reed Travis, and Ashton Hagen that made their way to Lexington. So we covered all that and, and tons more TV. Looking forward to the piece you put up about uh, UK basketball and the NBA draft and on CameronMillsRadio.com. You can check out everything TV and I write right there. Uh, and another fun show in the books, man. Absolutely fun. Thank you for our guests. Uh, thank you for everything, and thank everybody for listening. Absolutely. And don't, don't forget, we'll be uh, re-aired. This show right here will re-air in the morning, uh, probably 8 to 10, I think, is when they do it. 12-Ounce Sports. Follow them on Twitter, at 12-Ounce Sports. Check them out on the site, at 12OunceSportsRadio.com, and they will replay this very show tomorrow morning. So we definitely appreciate that as well. Before I guess Randy Burke, Aaron Perez, Terry Brown, Vinny Hardy, we'll see y'all next week. Six to eight. That's talk with a Brown Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll see y'all.